Oh, by the way, do you know what time it is? Uh-oh. <laughs> uh... I don't know what time it's it is. It's 12 o'clock and it's a <laughs> wonderful day. Hey, uh, how is that water? Uh, it's not great, I gotta, I gotta say. Oh, so you're saying it's, it was... It's, it's not super easy to drink. To drink. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I hate bands with children in them. I hate Criss Cross, Hanson, and Arctic Monkeys. I hate the XX, the Shags, and the Donnas. I hate One Direction, New Kids on the Block, and Bad Religion. And I especially hate Silver Chair. I hate these bands because in 1994 I was 19 years old and wanted nothing more than to be the next grunge sensation. And along came Daniel Johns, some 15-year-old dipshit from Australia who looked like Kurt Cobain and sounded like Eddie Vedder. So I decided Johns could be safely dismissed because Silverchair's hit song Tomorrow had stupid lyrics, which it does. In completely unrelated news, recently I've been kicking my ass trying to learn to play Going to California, a song that contains the lyric, spent my days with a woman unkind, smoked my stuff, and drank all my wine. Then when Jake suggested we do Tomorrow for Hidden Jukebox, I realized, yep, I could easily sing pretty much the whole song from memory. Silverchair went on to win more ARIA awards, the Australian Grammys, than any other artist in history. Every one of their five albums has been a number one hit in Australia. They also released a song containing the lyric, No More Maybes, Your Babies Got Rabies. Today on Hidden Jukebox, Silverchair's Tomorrow. Now, Jake, what do you think of this song? I, oh, first off, I want to know what's wrong with the lyrics, spent my days with a woman unkind, smoke my stuff and drink all my wine. Whereas I don't need to know what's wrong with the lyrics, No More Maybes, Your Babies Got Rabies. I mean, like... Is this your biggest relationship problem, I guess? I mean, first of all, smoked my stuff is a very funny phrase that, like, going to California is supposed to be sort of like a serious, introspective kind of song, and, like, smoked my stuff doesn't really fit. Uh, and also, like, if it, it seems like he's, like, fleeing a bad relationship, and, like, the worst example he can come up with is, like, like she, like, smoked his pot. Well, I, I always think of that scene from The Doors where they're... Uh, doing their first big TV performance, and they asked them to sing Girl We Couldn't Get Much Better yes, rather than yes. Girl We Couldn't Get Much Higher. So maybe Smoked My Stuff was just them trying not to be too controversial in, in the yep. early 70s. Uh, not saying it's a great lyric, but um, Silver Chairs Tomorrow, terrible, terrible lyrics. Like, yes, I've been going over this all Very week. catchy. But so catchy. And so I was uh, 14, 15 when this song came out. Uh, and I never paid attention to lyrics back then. Like, they didn't matter to me. It's only nowadays when I go back and listen to songs like this and go, well, this isn't really about anything at all. Uh, no. Like, like the lyrics are absolutely ridiculous. Uh Daniel Johns, the lead singer, uh, said that the inspiration for this song came from a TV show where this poor guy uh, was taking a rich guy through a hotel to experience the losses of the less fortunate than him. <laughs> sounds like a great show. It sounds like a great show. Uh, doesn't sound like what this song is about at all, except for the line, they say that money isn't everything, but I'd like to see you live without it. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, that is that is like exactly the kind of wisdom I expect from a 15 year old. So it delivers. I'd say I find some of these lyrics very hard to drink. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I remember when the song came out, like like actually laughing out loud when suddenly he went back to very hard to drink out of nowhere. That part of the song just cracks me up every time. But it's so singable. And yes. And so the thing that I keep coming back to, uh, what you're mentioning with these really young bands writing hit songs very, very early on in their lives. Yeah, um, and should I, should I like uh, put in a disclaimer here that I don't actually hate any of those bands, or was that the joke I, obvious? I, I, think, I think that that the second part after you said you especially hate Silverchair really explained the fact that you don't actually hate these bands as it yeah. comes from a little bit of jealousy. Yeah. Now... Uh, to throw Matthew under the bus a little bit, when he was 19 years old, he actually was a songwriter. He was uh, going to college down in California, and I clearly remember uh, in April of 1994 when Kurt Cobain died, he wrote a song. Can you rem- remember the name of the song that you wrote? Uh, it might come to me. It was a quite well written song i i really enjoyed it as a 14 year old looking up to my older brother and it was kind of about the death of kurt cobain but uh thinly veiled where you yeah you couldn't quite tell and then me being a new bass player and thinking i can write songs decided to try and write my own song about drug use and uh death of 27 year olds and uh, the best lyric that I can remember from that, which was 25 years ago, was Janice, Jimmy, Jim, and Kurt now are six feet down in the dirt. <laughs> Wait, I don't understand how this story constitutes throwing me under the bus. You, when you okay. said- <laughs> I, I didn't say that I wasn't throwing myself under the bus. I just mentioned that, <laughs> that I was um, going to speak for you a little bit here. I remember how that song I wrote went, but I cannot remember the title because I gave it some completely meaningless title like Transcendence or some shit. It, it wasn't that, but it was something that bad I, yeah. from what I remember. But point being, uh, I couldn't write a song to save my life when I was 15 years old. And this album, Frog Stomp, is actually a pretty great album start to finish. They didn't write one hit song. They wrote an album that won a bunch of awards in Australia and you could technically say, Oh, well maybe everybody was just impressed because they were 15 years old, but by the time they were 22, they had put out four albums each. If you listen to them, which got better and better. Yeah. And they did not, they, they did like their first two albums and maybe some of the third were just kind of the same thing rehashed, which is not bad. Um, and then and then they started like exploring new directions, and then I think like they kind of retired. They retired in 2011. Um, the their last album came out in 2007, but the one prior to that, the album Diorama, I've been listening to a lot this week, and it is fantastic. Great string arrangements, really really interesting changes in the songs. Like they. You hear this mature band that's nothing like the band that uh, was together in 1995, and then you listen to all this stuff and go, 
Well, they wrote all this stuff when they were like 23 years old. And I'm not yeah. sure that I could write songs that well when I was 23 either. I'm not sure I could yeah. write songs that well now. No, I think I think I really do hate them now. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's impressive. And and so one of the funny things about uh picking this song and wanting to do this song was I had in my head at the beginning, oh well, you know, it's fun to do songs about one-hit wonder bands and uh technically in in the United States they were, but yep. in Australia they were one of the biggest bands of all time. Yeah, like on par with Men at Work and In Excess. You you say that as though that's a bad thing. I no, I'm just love I'm just Men saying those, those are the first two Australian bands that came to mind. They uh, were prob they were probably bigger than Midnight Oil. Uh, prob definitely. Um, yeah. In terms of awards, at least, this band in Australia has won. 40 out of 85 awards that they've been nominated for, which is completely unheard of to win 40 awards, completely unheard of to win basically half of what you get nominated for. It's insane. And I wonder why it didn't translate over to the U.S. market. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's really any way to answer that kind of question. It's not like anything about them felt like too Australian. Um <laughs> Which, I mean, sort of, you know, if you think about Midnight Oil, like, I, I think that is a plausible reason why why they only had two hits. Maybe, um, maybe but then I think about, like, uh, Tame Impala nowadays, who, yeah. who they, him, whatever you want, however you want to call it, absolutely huge. And I hardly listen to it and go, oh, this is uniquely Australian. Right. In fact, there's virtually no band that I know from Australia where I go... Maybe maybe the song down under a little bit Australian, <laughs> uh, but but most of it, they they almost seem to be writing to try to appeal to a mass audience. Right. And so let's let's talk about like, you know, what uh, the, the critique of the song when it came out, which was which was perfectly accurate is, you know, they were going for like a Pearl Vana sort of thing. And uh, the the thing about that is. Like for all of the hundreds or thousands of bands that tried to do that in the '90s, most of them weren't very good at it. <laughs> like you can you can say like, okay, I am going to write a song, write and perform a song in the style of like my two favorite bands, and 99% of the time, like the result is going to be shit. Right. Like it's not going to be a copy of that. It's just going to be bad. Right. The the part that makes us angry is they were 15 and. They were trying to pull something off very clearly, uh, ripping off a certain sound, but they did it very, very well. The, right. the, the other band that I lump into this, which... I know what you're going to say. No, you don't. Somebody okay. out there is going to hate me for saying this. Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, yes, yes. I knew you were going to say that because this song and Plush, like, like the wires are crossed in my brain. Because both of them are like Pearl Jam ripoffs, and both of them lean on the word tomorrow. Well, I clearly remember that the first time I heard this song, uh, I thought it—I literally thought it was Pearl Jam, and I'm like, "Yeah, wow, Pearl Jam's changing their sound a bit, but I kind of like it. It's catchy, uh, it works for me." And then found out that it was a completely different band, and went, "Are they really allowed to do that?" 
Right. And both both Stone Temple Pilots and Silverchair like went on, you know, did this kind of thing for a little while and then went on to a more like kind of glammy, more more uh, fully produced direction that served them really well. Absolutely. Uh, Scott Weiland changed his voice a little bit in not necessarily a bad way. Uh, it, their music became very glam rock. Uh, Silverchair became kind of Brit poppy in a way. Yeah, for sure. Like a lot of lush string arrangements. Um, Daniel Johns apparently learned how to play piano because apparently he wasn't uh, talented enough on guitar, and and they became a very uh, piano oriented band. Speaking of which, uh, last night I watched the uh, Weezer performance with the L.A. Philharmonic. Uh, I, I do not know about this. I, I just heard about it like the day before and like, you know, bought a ticket for the stream. And I was like, I don't know, this is going to be real gimmicky. And I don't really like these uh, like, you know, Metallica with the symphony things very much. It was so good. The Metallica- <laughs> and and we, at Rivers Cuomo like spent most of the show at the piano. The, the Metallica uh, symphonic thing was the first thing that I thought of because it was like, whoever had this idea, I hate <laughs> Like, yeah, is... no, it was that's not a good idea. However, I I know I've mentioned I've mentioned this on the show before. The uh, the Nas Illmatic symphonic performance is quite good. Is there stuff that Nas did that you don't like though? Um, yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, like the uh, his his album from like the, his Kanye produced album from like 2017 with the uh, the anti vaccination oh, song. Thank, not thank a big God. fan. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> I'm like. If you like that, then you're just not being fair here. Um, so, so the the big thing that I want to talk about here is, um, and you talked about a little bit in the intro. This was like the dream of every kid in the '90s. Was you're in high school and you put together your high school band and try and write some songs. They they won like Battle of the Band awards to get to the point that they got to. And before you even graduate high school, maybe even before you have sex, you have a huge hit song that that's like that a guarantees you will have sex that, the that, next day. That, yeah, it's not like becoming a, a video game star. Maybe it <laughs> right. is. I don't know. I don't know shit about I, becoming a video a video game star. What do you even mean by video game star? Like like a, someone who str- streams on Twitch or like you know wins a wins a tournament of like StarCraft? What, what? is a video game star well, to you? When I when I was living in Lower Queen Anne here in <laughs> Seattle, uh, once a year, th- this thing would come around to key arena the 20,000 oh, right. person arena that there were like these nerds walking around my neighborhood everywhere with these lanyards on and i'm like what is this and i had to look it up and i realized it was 20,000 people descending on a sports and music venue to watch people compete at video games. Oh yeah, no, definitely the people playing the games there are, are have have like thousands of times more money and sex than us. Exactly. It like if somebody had told me in the mid 90s that not only could you play video games and people would want to watch you outside of sitting on your couch, but that you could make a lot of money at it, I would have said nobody is ever going to be able to do that. Right. So so these guys from Silverchair were both like unusually talented and unusually lucky. Like those things just have to come together in a in a lightning strike moment. 
but I, I just, I knew so many people growing up who played music. Like, I think that one of the nice things about what grunge did and what alternative did is it kind of put instruments in everybody's hand where, where for some reason, this movement in music made people go, I can do that. It, you know, there, there wasn't this heavily polished thing to it. It was just like, pick up an instrument, plug it in or set up a drum kit in your parents' basement and learn a few chords and you can do this too. Yeah. And I mean, that's because it was a version of punk rock and, you know, (laughs) where the drums were kind of different and more guitar solos. And, you know, I think, I think electronic music is like that today for a lot of people like, you know, little Nas X produced, produced, uh, you know, old town road basically in his basement, I think. Yes, probably. I, I mean, that's, that's how people make music now. Like, I'm currently sitting in front of my DAW yeah. where, where when I record stuff, I do it at home. Even Yeah, in, you fought the DAW and the DAW won. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Even in the early 2000s, I, you know, I paid a, a stupid amount of money to go into a studio and do virtually the exact same thing that I do on a, you know, two, three thousand dollar setup at home. Yeah, so you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I'm uh, old and and like having a, a fun little midlife crisis. Um, you know, I think I was having a conversation uh, with with my kid December yesterday. I think about how like saying you know when you're in college you should you should join a band, even though almost everything about being in a band is super annoying. And that that's why like I didn't stick with it long enough to to get even marginally successful like. Practicing your instrument is annoying. Uh, carrying shit in and out of, like, loading stuff in and out of a van is annoying. You know, dealing with with uh, personalities of other people in the band is annoying. Scheduling practices and gigs sucks. Like, you know, you do this all for, like, you know, the, the very, very uh, long shot chance of making some money or having some fame or just, like, having those few moments that happen, like, maybe once or twice a month where everything clicks. And you're like, yeah, now I remember why I did this. Well, when you like, put it that way. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying that that's, that, that that's like, that's just the way it is, right? You know this better than I do. It It is. I mean, living in a van, uh, inevitably dealing with some narcissist prick who thinks that they have better ideas than everybody else. I The way I used to put it is, it's like all of the problems that you ever have when you get into a high school relationship, but now you're doing it with three, four, five people instead of one person yeah. all at the same time. And also and, spending a bunch of money. Oh, yeah. It, you, I mean, the idea of making any money at all, period, is like a pipe dream because everything either gets invested back in the band or you're doing a great job actually saving up some money and your van breaks down and all of your money's gone because you have to spend it on the van. Yeah, so now I'm curious, like the the guys in Silverchair, like, you know, they they got lucky when they were young and got to like skip some of that slog to get there. But like in order to play as well as they did on the album, like, you know, they still spent a lot of time, uh, you know, practicing in their basements. Well, sure. And one of the things I was thinking about this week is, oh, well, you know, they they put in a good run. They started in 1994 they finished in 2011 that's 17 years and to think about the fact that when they broke up they were still only 31 32 years old 
That's insane. Uh, yeah. Like having a 17-year career as a band and and finishing then, if they decide to keep going for it, they could have been one of the longest-running bands in history. Uh, sure, absolutely. Like, like how long have the Stones been going now? 60 years? 112 years. 112 years. Yep. Keith, Keith Richards is Skeletor and, and somehow is the undead still playing guitar. Keith Richard is Skeletor. Uh, who is who is Mick? Uh, Serpentor is that from? <laughs> no, that yeah. was her GI Joe, right? Uh, uh, now you're pulling out references that are super dank that I'm not going to get. Um, do you remember? Uh, have we talked about this before? The uh, the He Man commercial um, where with the song that went um, something something Grayskull Castle, but getting in is a powerful hassle. <laughs> No. <laughs> I saw this commercial so many times and like the the rumor going around amongst amongst the kids at the time was that that they said uh, uh powerful but, asshole. Right, right, exactly. Of course. <laughs> I didn't even know it, but the second that you said it, I'm like I'm like I know what you're going to say here. <laughs> but getting in is a powerful asshole. Right, which, which you know, we didn't stop to think about whether that made any sense. It's just like, whoa, maybe they said asshole on a commercial. Have you, uh, have you ever uh, seen the thing on YouTube where the guy takes old uh, clips from the GI Joe cartoon and overdubs them with really, really stupid shit? No, but that sounds great. That cartoon was so much weirder than than we remember. Oh, it it's very, very strange, and the clips are like. You don't know what's going on because he's just overdubbing, overdubbing them with like random conversations that the people are having. But you're like, what was actually going on in this scene? And then the overdubs are just brilliant. There's a bunch you know of them that's made on there. That that sounds great. Uh, send me the link and I'll include it in the show notes. Like this is like like being a GI Joe and being in a band are like two two examples of things that look from the outside like they must be really exciting but are actually the most boring shit in the world like you know i love watching like a secret agent show like alias is one of my all-time favorite shows like being an actual secret agent must be you must spend a hundred percent of the time like waiting around for something to happen or doing paperwork i that's what i was gonna say is you're doing paperwork all the time like well, you're going to have to log from start to finish what happened. And it's like, well, we sat in a car for 17 hours watching a door that never opened. And when it finally opened, the cleaning lady came out and all she was doing was cleaning. And we had no reason to go in. And, <laughs> right. and I just spent 45 minutes documenting, documenting all of this crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So back. However, to- podcasting. Non-stop excitement. Non-stop excitement. I, I'm sitting in my chair. Uh, Your silver able, chair. My silver chair, ba- barely able to hold myself down. Uh, back to telling your kid that they should join a band when they get out of high school. As much as we are making the point that that's a terrible idea, I think it's a great idea. And no, no, I was completely serious that, that like it's something that's worth doing, even though it's more annoying than you can imagine. Well, the experiences that you get to have, if if you actually get to go on the road, like being able to see the country, uh, learning how how to form relationships with with people outside of your friend group, because oftentimes the people you play music with are people that you've never met before in your life. Yeah. Um, it's 
it's formative. It like there's there's something about it that creates the many many life-altering experiences in a really good way and yeah and many mind-altering experiences too well (laughs) maybe tell them to stay away from that but uh uh that's the 41 year old me going yeah don't make all of the stupid mistakes that i made Uh uh-huh you know the luck that that advice definitely always works yeah yeah you you get to this age and you're like God damn it, my parents were right about all of it. Yeah, how, of course. How can that be? Like But like, yeah, but I but my kid is only going to make smart decisions always. Uh, good. Good. Yeah, I I have these conversations more often than not these days where I I've got friends with 5-year-olds, 6-year-olds and they're like they're the best behaved kid. I I'm just never going to have to worry about anything. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Cool. We'll we'll talk again in 10 years. Tell tell me tell me how well that went. Yeah, it's like writing a letter like, dear God, can you can you please like reach your hand down and like just fuck everything up? <laughs> uh, I have a couple things I want to recommend. Did we talk enough about the song? Uh, the only other thing that I want to say that it's not exactly about the song is if you haven't heard this whole album, like I said, it's really good. Uh, Daniel Johns is a surprisingly amazing guitar player even at 15 yeah and the and the song pure massacre which was the other single released in the u.s is also an absolutely great song is the song suicidal dream on this album also or is it on the next one uh, hold on i can second. look it up you you look it up because because when i was like flipping through silver chair songs while uh, while preparing for this episode i saw that title go by and i'm like oh i remember how that song goes even though i probably haven't heard it since like 95 it, it was on this album yeah like incredibly catchy chorus yeah um and this album has a bunch of shorter pop hits and by the time you get to the album i was talking about uh, diorama it opens with an almost six minute song it ends with a 10 minute song and the nice. shortest song is four minutes long well that explains why you like that one yep yep it totally right up my alley it, they decide that they want to be a prog rock band and it really yes. worked for them so you uh, were gonna say oh i have a couple things i want to recommend uh the first one is uh, there is a, a new album by an artist that I just became familiar with recently because I saw her uh, Tiny Desk Home performance, uh, which is on YouTube. Uh, the the artist goes by Steady Holiday, and it's just r- super well-written, uh, like, folky, synthy pop. Uh, and uh, just super catchy songs. Uh, highly recommended. We'll link to that. I thought you were going to um, say St. Vincent. I'm like, everybody knows who St. Vincent is. Come on. Well, I mean, I, she is certainly somewhat inspired by St. Vincent, and why wouldn't you be? Um, and the other thing is, I bought a home laser show machine, which that's, is which is like way better than I expected. That's officially the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair, but also like, this thing rules. It was, uh, I got it on Amazon. It was like $34. And I'm like, this is going to be a piece of shit. Um, it does not like respond to the beat of the song in any way. It just like plays like it, it, a uh, repeating pattern, but it's very bright. It has cool designs. It comes with a little remote so you can change the colors, like turn the stars on and off, like change how it fades in and out. Uh, I'll we'll link to it in the show notes. This, this sounds like the type of thing that I would have absolutely loved when I did a lot of drugs. 
I don't right, know. Right, exactly. No, I've been, I've been enjoying it. Stone cold sober. That, yeah, like that, <laughs> that's my life now. Um, I, I was trying to think, I have a couple of things to recommend too. uh, mainly something completely unrelated to, uh, the type of music that we normally cover okay. on this show. But, uh, my friends, the Delvon Lamar organ trio, are really, really taking off right now. And it's all instrumental music, but they are fantastic. And I highly recommend you check them out. And then Matthew recommended to me this month a band called Japanese Breakfast. And for once, I, ac- I actually checked out something that he recommended. Oh, and they that's sweet. are great. So I highly recommend you check out Japanese Breakfast. We are having Michelle from Japanese Breakfast on my other podcast uh, later this month. Or actually, really? by the time you hear this, it will have been last month. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Gosh. She is a great interview. She was super fun. Does that make you famous or does that make her not famous? I don't know. Like, it, <laughs> it, it was part of uh, the, the reason we got her was because she has a book coming out. And like, you know, when you and you have a book coming out, you have to do like all the publicity that you're uh, – publisher tells you to do even if it's some dumb podcast you've never heard of got it so i mean i can i can ask if she wants to be a guest on this podcast i have a feeling i know what the answer will be (laughs) well well you know if if all of you go out and tell your friends to listen to us and they tell their friends to listen to us before you know we can have uh famous artists on here and uh you won't have to listen to us blather for a half an hour every month yeah. It, until so, then, uh, go and listen to Criss Cross and Hanson if you haven't in a while. <laughs> highly, highly recommended. Um, should, should we do like something, something in that in that vein, like uh, like a uh, House of Pain jump or uh, Criss Cross jump or uh, <laughs> or Van Halen jump, <laughs> Van Halen jump for for our spinoff eighties podcast. Um, that, I'll, I'm going to leave that up to you. My personal answer would be no. But hey, listeners, <laughs> if you're like, how can you not cover one of those songs? Let us know, and I guess we'll we'll throw it on the pile. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Until next time, I'm Matthew Amster Burton, and I'm Jake Amster.